Good morning. Welcome to a new episode of the Easy Languages podcast. Hi, Raf. Ciao, Rita. Buongiorno a tutti. <laughs> Bonjour. How are you doing? I'm fine, thanks. I will not uh, continue speaking Italian. I was, uh, I just wanted to say hi in Italian, to sprinkle some Italian in this podcast. I would have loved for you to speak more Italian and bring some sun in here to me, even though I know it's not always sunny in Italy, but you're in the south of Italy and I hope and there is a bit of sun today where you are. There is indeed, and it makes a total difference. I mean, I can bear the cold, but uh, a full week without the sun really makes me die within. <laughs> I understand you. So as you remember, I came recently back from Mexico. <laughs> Why do you have to say that again and again? <laughs> Just to tease you. <laughs> and we met a beautiful couple from Poland with Elena and uh, Piotr, Piotrek. Uh, he's a, a Polish language enthusiast and we've been talking about everything related to languages. And by the way, he listens to us. So hi, Piotr. And we've been talking about Polish language and how, you know, Polish people have this perception that is a very hard language or one of the hardest in the world. I mean, they are not the only ones, but a lot of people have been talking about that. And I thought, well, there are 7,000 languages spoken across the globe. Uh, how to rank them all? How do we decide which one is the hardest? What do you think about that? I think it's a very cool idea. <laughs> That's cool. And it's a very debated uh, idea among linguists uh, and language enthusiasts uh, like us. It's a critical question. So in this episode, I thought it would be very interesting to start with a section where we will talk about the theory. What are the factors that are objectively uh, helping us to decide which uh, or help the linguist decide which language is the hardest. And on in the second section, we'll be talking about our own experience and our subjective factors and how do we feel like a language is hard or not. What do you think about that? It looks like a very cool structure for this episode. I can't wait to talk about that. So let's start. <laughs> so Rita, uh, the first question that we have to ask is how to determine if a language is hard. Yes, you're right. Why are some languages harder or easier to learn than others? I think in all the research we've been doing, and also intuitively, it seems like they are the first things we think of. There are five criteria, actually, that would explain why a language is harder for somebody or not than uh, another language, you know, in comparison with another language. So the first one is how these languages are related. So the languages, we know that there are, most of languages are part of a family, right? So and within the family, they share structure, maybe um, common vocabulary, or at least etymologically vocabulary, a parent uh, language. And so, for instance, if you sp you're an English speaker, um, German uh, is part of the same family. So it should be relatively easy for you to learn German in comparison with learning Mandarin. Absolutely. And there are not just families, there are also subfamilies. Like there's a whole bunch of languages throughout Europe and Asia that in a way are related. And that's thanks to that famous Proto-Indo-European language, the father of a lot of languages in this in Eure Eurasia, if we want to call it like that. And I'm always surprised to find similarities between languages that are very distant, even geographically today, like, for example, I don't know, Italian and Hindi. And then you find that oh, there is something in common, like the, the, the basic roots of a word are the same, for example, or even the conjugation system is 
surprisingly similar, and that's amazing. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, uh, th- this is the second criteria, you know, um, you're talking about distances. So even within those subfamilies or families, uh, it, like the cultural distance um, between the lang- your native language and the target language is very important. There are some traits, some characteristics that might play a very important role. Um, so maybe there is a third criteria because I heard you talking about grammar. Yeah, of course. Uh, grammar is part of the complexity of uh, any s- specific language. And uh, this is uh, something that really changes from language to language. So a language might have a very simple grammar structure, like, you know, the conlangs that we mentioned in our recent after show. Those are created mostly, for example, Esperanto is created mostly to have a basic grammar structure, right? So that it you know, everyone can uh understand it and use it very fairly easily uh but there are other languages of course which make use of a very complex grammar system yes like the case system so for instance polish russian hungarian uh, but there are also sometimes some concepts that don't even exist in other languages uh not to say that they are always difficult to master or to learn but let's say in albanian turkish or even bulgarian Bulgarian, if I'm not mistaken, there is this concept which is like they make the difference between the actions that the speaker, like when the speaker has witnessed some action or seen it with his own eyes or her own eyes and an action that has been told to him. So, for example, in Turkish, forgive my pronunciation, Turkish friends, um, there is the verb geldi, which is he has come. So that means you actually saw him arrive. But there is also gelmish, which is he has come. Uh, so either someone told you about the, the fact that he was coming or you have seen him uh, here, even though you didn't actually see him arrive. So he was here, but you didn't see the action happen. So I thought, wow, I never heard about that concept. What about you? <laughs> yeah, it's very cool. But unfortunately, it makes you know, these languages a little bit harder. Um, and, you know, uh, I've been studying Russian for a month now. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, it seems they use 10 different verbs uh, for the verb to go. <laughs> so this is something that not uh, to go is to go, you know. Andare in Italian, that's it. But instead in Russian, they, they use like, I don't know, I haven't counted them. But I've encountered at least three or four. Uh, mm-hmm. And something tells me that there will be more, unfortunately. <laughs> These are so fascinating, but again, they make the language a little bit harder. And of course, there are the writing systems and scripts that could be different. Like, let's, for instance, you spoke about Hindi. So if we want to learn Hindi, we have to, we en- might encounter some difficulty learning first how to write. But also when you look, go to India, of course, there is English, but I'm just saying, if you go and look at the plate or something and you're like, oh my God, I can't read anything. This is not related to anything I know. So that's also create some more difficulty. Um, And there is the dialects and the variations between them. There is Arabic or Chinese. There are so many different dialects in China. Um, And within Arabic, people actually, we could call those languages, but people call those dialects. If you speak Moroccan, Arabic, and let's say Egyptian, they are different. You might not understand, you know, the other person. So it adds difficulty. But there is another thing that adds difficulty within the complexity of the language. Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, I guess you wanted to ask about uh, some other aspects like pronunciation, tones, clicks. What's a click? 
Is it what you do with your mouse on your computer? <laughs> no, there are some languages in South Africa that use click. Um, I can't do it, of course. I can't pronounce that. But, you know, you have to even recognize the sound first. So there is, um, uh, in terms of tonal languages, the Hosa language, uh, Vietnamese, Cantonese. Um, these are languages that might be tricky. Even Arabic, which is not that tricky. A lot of people tend to say, oh, my God, I can't pronounce properly all the words or the use a part of my mouth or my my throat that I never use you know so these things add up to the difficulty and um yeah but the four criteria actually is the passion and the reasons uh, for which you want to learn a new language uh, is it appealing to you or not or because this would play definitely a role so in your motivation you might just stop <laughs> learning it after a month if you feel like oh these are too difficult for me or I don't understand those concepts is there any other criteria the fifth criteria that we could think of absolutely it is the resources available of course for major languages that everyone wants to study you will ha you will find tons of books tons of courses but for let's call them minority languages or even major languages but for some reason those mm, there are some of those languages who do not attract many uh, students, um, you will find a lot less uh, books, uh, a lot fewer courses and books uh, to learn that language. So, of course, if you uh, have fewer resources, it's going to be a little bit harder for you to, to, to learn the language and even develop fluency. And, uh, of course, not to say that we shouldn't be learning those languages, uh, to the contrary, and I'm sure we'll de dedicate another episode on how to learn endangered or minority languages or languages with fewer resources. But if you're interested in a new, completely hidden world, um, like there is a language uh, that I heard about recently, Zhongha language, which is spoken in Bhutan. Um, it's very hard to find resources for beginners and that's definitely adding to difficulty i'm not talking even about the classical you know resources like oh i want to go to duolingo and find something about it but even when you look at the stadal um you know websites or trying to find other resources that are usually uh shared among linguists it's quite hard if you already speak the language and you want to improve it then it's easier but for a be total be beginner yeah harder for languages that do not have you know resources like an easy french podcast or uh you know, an easy Italian YouTube channel, uh, it's a lot harder because you do not have anything that brings you from, you know, beginner intermediate to intermediate advanced. So beside those four, five criteria, is there for English speakers uh, a resource that could help us then decide what are the languages that are harder for us or not? Yeah, we keep referring to the Foreign Service Institute um, of the United States. Uh, it's a governmental organization, and they have trained a lot of diplomats uh, throughout the decades. And they have uh, made some research, and they can tell you exactly how hard a language is. They have divided those language, uh, all languages in, uh, well, most languages, in five, six categories, and how, how much time you need to learn them to a fluent level. For example, for it's for English speakers. So, of course, they will tell you that languages like Dutch, uh, even Italian, Spanish, the Romance languages, they are pretty much in the first category of languages that you can learn fairly uh, quickly. Uh, if you go to the other side of the spectrum, the most mm, difficult category, the hardest languages, you will find languages like Mandarin, Chinese, Japanese, Arabic, Korean, 
usual ones. But I, I just found recently that there is, I mean, I'm sure there are many others, but there is a linguist uh, called Michael Campbell on a blog uh, called Glossica. We will add that on the show notes. Uh, he, in his, that blog, in a detailed, very detailed blog, um, he post, uh, he posted and, and that is titled Language Difficulty. Um, he devised a scoring system, um, for trying to answer numerically, um, two different questions, like very specific questions. So is there an objective method for measuring language difficulty and what are the most difficult languages in the world, which is the question we are asking today. Um, and in his approach, so like I'm trying just to summarize very quickly, he tried to compare those languages in terms of vocabulary acquisition, in terms of syntax and grammar, in terms of phonology and many other criterias. And he scored them on a matrix. And what is very interesting and funny uh, for me as a non-linguist, uh, and when I say linguist this time, I'm talking about somebody who studies and uh, researches about linguistics, um, I, I found that his results are interesting because he labels Finnish as an easy language or What? he labels Korean as, yeah, he makes it ranks higher than Taiwanese in, in terms of difficulty. And I always thought it wasn't the case. So of course, in that blog, it all, he explains maybe the sites that are not so perfect on his methodology, but I think found it very interesting, different from the FSI. And he explains perfectly each point. So I invite you to read that blog. Um, and I think that doesn't answer us, actually, the question. So what is the most difficult language? Usually people think is Chinese, Mandarin Chinese, or it's, uh, I don't know, it's um, a language that we never heard about. It, you can't really say that a language is harder than another one because it's always subjective. First thing that we can talk about, Raf, is how our perception plays our, when I say our perception is like you and I, but also other people, plays a role on the ranking and the popularity of the languages uh, we and other people learn, right? So you spoke about the fact that Mandarin is widely spoken, 1.1 billion speakers, they could read it, speak it perfectly, so... It shouldn't be so difficult normally. So, uh, of course, more people try to learn it nowadays because of the economics of China and everything. And it takes in, like, it's important and it has an important role, uh, let's say, worldwide. But I feel like it's it wasn't so learned easily. And I feel like people uh, are kind of afraid of Mandarin Chinese. They think like, oh, no, 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 this is too difficult. It's tonal. Oh, uh, it's like characters. Oh, I don't want that. Do you feel this is really important for people also? I think there are objective difficulties when trying to learn Mandarin, but I think a lot of the times it's just a matter of being unfamiliar with the language or some aspects of it. For example, uh, tones and characters put off a lot of people Uh, so they steer away from Mandarin as soon as they hear, what? You have tones? What? You have uh, you do not write in the um, Latin alphabet. So it's uh, it's those kind of things. But again, it's more a matter of not being familiar with these ideas. And uh, these can, um, of course, they are uh, difficult aspects, but they are also part of the fascination of the language. So it's a whole new challenge to try and master the tones or learn the uh, Chinese characters. And once you have passed that stage, Uh, you the, the the whole experience of learning Chinese will be completely different and it will be mu so much more rewarding for you. Let's talk maybe more about our own experiences. What are the languages that we try and avoid because of the difficulty, for example? Is there any for you, Raph? Personally, 
I've been avoiding Arabic for 20 years. Wow. That's a long time to be avoiding something. <laughs> <laughs> But why? <laughs> I, I should actually say that it's been on my list for 20 years, but I've never actually, you know, started. Um, to be fair, I did start like uh, I was in Egypt for a week on holiday and before that a holiday. And during the holiday, I was kind of trying to learn the basics just to say good morning, good afternoon, thank you and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, for me, the problem is one of the aspects that you have mentioned in section one, and it is the dialects. We had a, a whole episode about Arabic language, or should we say Arabic languages, uh, because um, I, I was never sure what was my path. Uh, in learning Arabic, because should I learn uh, modern standard Arabic first or should I learn a dialect first? Which dialect should I learn? Now I've got it pretty clear in my mind, but still there is something that, you know, tells me, all right, it's not going to be the next language, the one after the next language. <laughs> so you've been pushing it away for 20 years. <laughs> yes, in a way or another, but it it's coming. Yeah, but 2024 <laughs> or 2025. <laughs> We'll be asking you each year, Raf, okay, if <laughs> you're starting Arabic. <laughs> I promise. <laughs> But that's very interesting because I, I started thinking to myself, um, did I avoid any language because of the difficulty? And my answer was no. But then I thought, what about the languages I already know or that I'm still learning? And I thought of Mandarin. And within that own language, I've been avoiding things, <laughs> you know, and difficulties. Within um, that language? <laughs> yeah, within the language. So uh, as you know, Mandarin has what is called classic classifiers or um, measure words. So th these, like, I mean, each noun needs a measure word. So it requires a measure word. So for example, if you want to say um, uh, a book, you know, in English, it's a book, you have the article and then the noun, right? Book. Uh, in, in, in Mandarin, it will be uh, so Ben is like the, the, the measure word. So Ben is a measure word that you use with books or things that are kind of book-like objects, newspapers, magazines, and textbooks, you know. So to say, for example, that book uh, in, in Mandarin would be... Nabanshu. Yeah. Uh, so those things seems easy. They are common ones. But there are in total, I think, 200 measure words. And you cannot know them all. Sometimes the same measure word could be used for, I don't know, for an animal, but also for, um, let's say, je. it's called, used for animals, but also body part that comes in pair, like hands. Uh, so you have to think of that when you're talking and speaking. And most of the people who are learning Mandarin in the beginning, unfortunately, use um, one that is very famous and used all over, which is ge. <laughs> But uh, of course, I did a very big effort during my seven years to use as many measure words as I can. But often I just put whatever I, I want <laughs> in there, you know? Yeah, just use, use the universal measure word that can get you in trouble. Exactly. So, I mean, sometimes you don't know. So I use just go and it's fine. And the person either corrects me or I hear the person say it. And then I, I, I repeat after. But Yeah. In Italian, we say mal comune mezzo gaudio. And then that means if mm, it's, this is a problem for a lot of us, uh, we're all happy in a way, uh -huh. <laughs> sort of. And this is for me to tell you that I've never memorized or learned properly all those uh, classifiers, those measure words, uh, either in Chinese or uh, Japanese. And I don't think Chinese people learn that. They just get used to that. There's a logic behind those classifiers. So there are flat objects. There are uh, thin objects. 
and stuff like that. So uh, if you really want to master those, you can find a way to do so. I just think most people, they are used to using that classifier with a specific noun. It makes sense for them. But yeah, Chinese and Japanese share this uh, aspect. So uh, I failed at learning those <laughs> classifiers in both languages. For now, uh, for now, for now. For now, yeah. <laughs> But what about Japanese then? Is there anything else in Japanese that you find... Oh, wow. It's, I mean, usually we compare a lot about between Mandarin and Japanese. Do you feel like one is harder than the other? Among the languages that I've learned, they are definitely the hardest. Uh, they are, I wouldn't be able to, you know, give you a ranking of what's most difficult, but they are very difficult in very different ways. Like um, what uh, I understood, well, based on my experience, uh, Japanese start really easy. Like pronunciation is very easy. Like you see a word, it's pronounced like that. And it's always going to be pronounced like that. There is no change. The accent doesn't change the pronunciation. If you see N-A or N-O, it's na or no. And it's always going to be like that. There are no declensions, no conjugations for the most part. Um, there is no article, there is no gender. So you, if you... if It I, sounds like a dream. Exactly. <laughs> it's the dream language. So you start, you know, with a lot of passion and you things, you, you make progress very quickly at the beginning. The problem comes uh, farther down the, the road. Like the more uh, uh, advanced you become, the more difficult the language is. It's wow. like Japanese steps. You, you think you are mastering Japanese, right? <laughs> And the, the the first problem is that the longer the phrases get, the more complex, the more convoluted for uh, an English-speaking brain uh, it gets. Like, for example, they build the phrase basically uh, backwards. backwards compared to what we do in Italian or in English, uh, except for the subject. So if you say, um, um, I don't know, the, I, I ate an apple, that's easy because ringo o tabeta. You are, do not use the, the subject and you say apple ate, mm. apple I mm. ate, right? But um, if you want to say the, I eat the apple that I have bought yesterday, you actually have to start from, you know, the end of your English phrase. And you have to say something like, katta ringo tabeta. Yesterday bought apple eight all right and this is a, a fairly simple phrase but imagine if you have to make a phrase <laughs> which is very long and say i've met a friend that was living in japan but then he moved to the u.s and uh, and so on it you know it really um you i can hear my brain you know struggling and fuming <laughs> but is there like is it the only difficulty really or i feel like in japan there are so many sets of things like cultural acceptable things you should be learning how to do does it play a role in learning language and the difficulty also absolutely there are basically at least three different levels of speaking japanese there is the uh let's say the friendly way the short forms So, for example, to, to give you a couple of verbs, um, to eat would be taberu. Mm -hmm. We have uh, used that already in our uh, example Tabeta. phrase, taberu. Mm -hmm. taberu. Exactly. Taberu is the, the, the dictionary form, the short form. Then there is the middle level where you have a more, you know, structured way of saying the word and it is tabemas. Oh, 
Okay. Right? Mm-hmm. And we're just talking about verbs. We're not talking about uh, uh, words that actually change depending on the level. But let's stick to taberu, tabemas. But then if you are speaking to somebody, you know, uh, in a higher position than you, or you have to use, based on the situation, an honorific version of the same verb. For example, for to eat, it, it becomes a completely different verb that has nothing to do with taberu. It becomes? Meshi agaru. Meshi agaru. All right? So you, you think you know Japanese, and then they tell you, wait, <laughs> do you know how to speak to somebody in a higher position than you, or to your boss, whatever? You say, oh, wait, now I have to learn a whole new set of words and verbs in order to be able to, to do that. On the other side, correct me if I'm wrong, Chinese, for me personally, it started very hard, like the tones. Oh, my God, it took me like three months to, to get around the tones. <gasps> have you been moving your head like everybody else, like when you learn it? My hands, <laughs> I'm Italian, Rita. <laughs> So still today, if I find, you know, a, a Chinese word that I have to read and I want to make sure I get the tones right, I keep moving my hands up and down. <laughs> but then after you, uh, you go across that first uh, obstacle and uh, another few obstacles, like, you know, uh, there are a lot of words that sound very similar, but mean completely different things. Uh, it's main, mostly a monosyllabic language. So uh, even changing one uh, vowel can mean many different things. Uh, but I think when you look closer at the FSI, there are so many questions that we could raise, you know, and we can like let you think about it and maybe send us a message if you want uh, to discuss that with us. Like who sets the bar of proficiency? How we, can we measure the quality of instruction or account for factors like second language knowledge? You know, when you learn one, two, three, and four, it makes things also easier. So my conclusion would be don't learn a language just because it's easy or difficult, but think about your own uh, reasons to do so, like objective and subjective ones. And uh, this would help you and lead you to a better outcome. What is your own conclusion, Raf? My conclusion is that um, if you are really motivated to learn a language, uh, there is no difficult language. And I think that the most difficult language is always going to be the first one that you learn because you do not know how to learn a language. So if you learn to do that, then there is literally no difficult language for you. Um, having said that... <laughs> I've got a few struggles to share with you and uh, you know it's all about my mandarin chinese so I'm I want to tell you all about that in our after show since you are a proficient speaker of uh, mandarin chinese so I'm going to uh, tell you a few of those uh, issues that I have encountered and you tell me how uh, I can overcome those. With pleasure. And if you guys want to have access to that, it's very easy. You only need to support our projects and become a member and patron. You have to go to the easy-languages.org slash podcast. Everything is explained there and you will get access to the after show, to a bonus episode each month and also to a live Q&A per month with us and discuss everything language related. Yeah, it's all also in the uh, show notes. I can't wait to talk to you next week. Yeah, talk next week. Bye-bye. Ciao.